From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Yasmin Kerr earned her BA in Anthropology, Sociology, History, and Spanish, and her MA in Sociology from Loyola University, Chicago. As a former undergraduate and graduate Curl Research Fellow, she continues to conduct community-based research as a project coordinator here at Curl. During her time at Curl, she has engaged in numerous research projects ranging across domestic violence, sexual violence in Muslim communities, as well as program evaluation with community partners. She also supports in supervising all of the undergraduate and graduate fellows at CURL at Loyola. Thank you so much for being here, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. So let's start off. I know I mentioned CURL a few times in your bio. What is CURL at Loyola for folks uh, unfamiliar? Sure. So the Center for Urban Research and Learning is a center here at Loyola University Chicago that primarily focuses on community-based um, research. And, and what that means is um, CURL kind of offering research services, evaluation services for different community partners that we have in Chicago and beyond, but primarily within the city of Chicago. Um, and all of our work all of it, we try to and have it as like a ground up approach. So um, we're often not thinking of our own research questions or thinking of our own um, research agenda as a university or anything like that. But, um, you know, having our community partners reach out to us, um, really take take charge and steer the conversation about around the different research that they have in mind for their own programming, for their own um, service provision for their own communities. Um, and we often act as a consultant in that way of offering um, different research capacities that we have. Um, and so CURL does a lot of different work. We always call ourselves um, like generalists, like we have like pockets of knowledge across different fields um, because of what we've been exposed to from our different community partners. So we often don't limit ourselves to like a, a certain knowledge base or a certain uh, content area or so uh, a certain social justice issue. We try and take on as many and a variety of different things as we can. Um, and we often also, you know, work from a team-based approach. So everyone on whatever project that we have at the moment um, has folks from the community partners that we have hopefully community members from those different organizations and, and um, entities, um, as well as CURL staff and faculty, and then our, our um, undergraduate and graduate student fellows, as well as maybe other faculty at Loyola, um, and trying to really hone in on that, like every single person has expertise that they can share and, and um, bring to the table, um, and really have that be a collaborative uh, research process throughout every part of the research um, journey for each project. Um, and a little also just to share that CURL itself is kind of its autonomous being at Loyola. So it's not 
um, housed by a certain um, school or, or discipline. So we do try and be as interdisciplinary as we can be. Um, and that allows us to move around and kind of choose um, and have control over who we can partner with and, you know, have more of a um, more spaciousness in how we can have those partnerships. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the projects that Curl recently has worked on that I actually came on and worked on uh, towards the tail end of at Curl is the Family Court Enhancement Project, um, or shortened FCEP. Uh, as you were mentioning, um, the breadth of uh, experience that Curl has, I know FCEP for a while um, worked uh, one of the faculty that was working on it was uh, Dean Harris, former former Dean Harris at the law school. Yeah. So um, there is a little bit of uh, connection to the law school within Curl as well, which is yeah. which is great for folks who don't know. Um, so from your uh, understanding or your words, what is uh, FCP? Sure. So the Family Court Enhancement Project is a program that was has been housed at um, the circuit court um, in Cook County, the Domestic Violence Division um, here in Chicago. And um, this program itself has been in development in, in the stages of implementation have been going on for almost probably 10 years at this point. Um, but the Family Court Enhancement Project itself is a program that was funded by the Office on Violence Against Women. Um, and it really focused on um, improving safety outcomes for um, litigant parents that have shared children um, that are moving through the uh, domestic violence court, going through a civil order protection um, case proceeding. So the program meant to kind of um, implement a variety of initiatives into the courthouse um, that was really focused on um, improving family outcomes and child safety and, and child-related remedies um, for families who are moving through the DV court. Um, and those initiatives included um, trainings for uh, judges, for advocates, for attorneys, um, and other court personnel around um, child safety, kind of a more holistic approach to understanding domestic violence as not just, you know, perpetrator versus um, survivor, but understanding that there's a whole family unit involved in this experience and that's impacting all sorts of different parts of their individual lives and collectively. Um, and yeah, having that connection to, okay, like what's happening to the children? How are they being impacted by the abuse? How are they um, being impacted by how the petitioner is being impacted by abuse? How is, you know, all these different kind of um, uh, elements, how are they kind of being navigated? Um, so there was these trainings that happened um, before, like as FCEP was being implemented into the court, there was also um, changes made to like the screening help desk that is um, is the like one of the first things that the, the petitioners uh, come to in the courthouse. Um, and that help desk is where Petitioners will receive their order, their petition for an order of protection, where they will um, fill it all out, complete that that document, 
um, before they're, you know, moved through the rest of the court system towards um, like their hearing into the courtrooms and, and et cetera. Um, and so FCEP wanted to have that process be a little bit more um, supportive for litigants, particularly for petitioners. Um, so that included having informational materials provided to uh, petitioners and those materials basically walked petitioners through um, the whole petition, kind of giving a little bit more um, lay language uh, of like what is included in the petition, what the different remedies mean that they can request, um, having more guiding questions that like, you know, if that kind of surrounded their family context, asking about children, asking about um, the exposure to harm, the exposure to abuse, um, and kind of having those questions filter into, okay, if you answered yes to this or no to this, these are the remedies that could be helpful and you should check these off in your petition. Um, so these informational informational materials um, were super helpful for petitioners and was um, an important part of FCEP. They also brought in, a, a, you know, some more staff to that screening process, including someone who spoke Spanish to help um, Spanish-speaking petitioners as well. And then the final um, and a really large part of FCEP that was created during this time was the um, institutionalizing a new role um, called the Child Relief Expediter. Um, and this person was, um, is a neutral party that often has a mediation kind of role, um, but works with both respondents and petitioners once they've gone through their initial hearing. Um, and, you know, these are folks that have children in common um, and they have noted to the judge that they want some kind of visitation or want to have some access to the children of both parents having that access, they will be referred to the child relief expediter who will help them walk through, um, you know, different options for visitation options uh, with the children, communication and safe exchange of the children. Um, and so the petition or the CRE um, is a neutral party. She's not on either side. She's merely there to make sure that whatever is decided between the parents is a safe, uh, a safe uh, plan, a safe agreement that can be incorporated into the order of protection. Um, so they spend a lot of time um, going back and forth. Um, the CRE does shuttle mediation. So um, the petitioner and the, the respondent are not in the same room. Um, the CRE will go between meeting with one and then meeting with the other and kind of going back and forth until they compromise on, on a plan that make, you know, checks all the marks in terms of, um, you know, it's not a safety risk to have to go through with the plan that they have in place. Um, so the CRE is really facilitating that safety um, exchange between the parents and then whatever plan they want to make for their children. Um, so that was a huge role that was brought on by FCEP. And the CRE was the only, not the only, but it was because of how impactful that role was, um, that role ended up being becoming um, institutionalized into the courthouse that is funded by the court um, beyond the first, you know, that one year that FCEP was funded by OBW at the court. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know having worked on this project a bit and and worked even uh, at the public defender's office at that court, um, one of the things you mentioned about the role of the CRE is the time that the CRE spends with litigants. And if anyone has been in um, sat in on a court proceeding in the DV courthouse or likely any other courthouse, litigants don't get to spend much time uh, in, in front of the judge. They don't get to spend much time with anyone, at, unfortunately, due to just the time constraints of the court system. So um, that role and being able to take the time to to mediate, to effectively get uh, the goals of each side met in some way is, is huge. Um, and so kind of on that note, after Curl did this evaluation of this project, um, what were some of the key findings and, and results? Yeah. Um, so obviously with the CRE, we did a lot of, um, we tried to kind of understand the role of the CRE and the impacts of that role from a variety of, um, perspectives. So we met with, we interviewed judges, we had focus groups with attorneys and advocates, and we had, um, one-on-one interviews with, um, both, uh, respondents and petitioners. Um, and across all of those different folks and the different roles that they all play within the core system, um, they found that the CRE was a very integral part of the court process. Um, on a personal level, just having someone, like you were saying, the, the, a lot of the litigants don't have that time. And even to, to have, you know, their needs, uh, met, their concerns heard, um, any of that during a court hearing with a judge and the judges also and the advocates and attorneys all kind of noted that as well, like knowing that they themselves in their professional roles often don't have enough time to also, you know, do the, do, um, you know, really fully give their attention to to the litigants in the way that, um, that the CRE can. Um, and so that was a huge, um, finding is, is seeing like how how much of a role that the CRE has in being able to um you know really support litigants in creating those safe safety parenting plans um and doing it in a way that uh litigants also just end up feeling more comfortable with the court process a little bit more um and um The other thing is, you know, the that on like a safety level, that what was important from the judge's perspective as well was was seeing um, how cases that went through the CRE um, and cases that had that additional attention and more of that safety assessment because judges often can't. There's only so much that they can do as well in their time with 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 litigants to have that assessment around safety. Um, the just the amount of time and the amount of context and information that the CRE receives in her time with litigants, it just it expands the the understanding of what is happening in the world of these litigants, and can we have a better and more you know nuanced assessment of safety and what kind of remedies more accurately fit. Right, this family. 
Um, so judges often also would say that those cases that went through the CRE were um, just much better, uh, more effective uh, uh, orders that were were given to these families. Um, and they just felt also more confident in, in you know, ordering these these OPs, knowing that there was a more nuanced, detailed uh, safety plan in place. Um, and uh, attorneys and advocates also kind of mirrored that sentiment, seeing that, you know, there was an additional person that could listen to all the needs and concerns of of um, of the litigants, um, especially for advocates, since their role is a little bit more limited, that the CRE can kind of lift up a lot of the concerns in a way, like to the judges in a way that the advocates often cannot. Um, so there is a lot of, uh, there's in a sense, a lot more um, focus on the safety concerns of litigants really centering child needs in a way that um, there's often not enough space and time in the more uh, rigid um, legal, like, process, court hearing process that um, that really gives litigants a little bit more autonomy in, in their own, like, um, safety plan for themselves as a family. So that, that was a huge um, finding of the project for sure. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no, I think as you're, and we've talked about this before, but as you're saying that I'm struck again at how great it is that this court has a CRE yet how alarming it is that a lot of the weight of this is false can still falls on one person um and and how you know the beneficial this has proven to be um but this one role that is novel to the to the court system is um being relied on by attorneys judges advocates um to 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 be that sense of peace and neutrality um for all of the litigants that are being referred, um, which again, it, it seems like that's that's such a positive thing that that this role came about, but um, a, a little alarming that it that it's it still is falling on this one this one role. Yes. Um, uh, and I think it speaks yeah. to like just how novel FCEP is, and. And how innovative and very distinct that this that this role is bringing to just like the very I mean the legal system has very rigid systems to it right and to bring in something like this is a little out of left field I mean it's taken almost ten years for you know through the development of FCEP to create the role of the CRE took a lot of time, a lot of collaboration between all the different stakeholders at the court and beyond the DV court. And then to implement it and like see the benefits of it for, you know, a certain amount of time. This is unlike anything else that is happening at a court system. And it really kind of shakes the 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 legal system in a way because you're kind of introducing something that is outside of that norm 
that um, that structure. And it also, you know, forces folks to think like, okay, what is the role of a courthouse? What is the role of the legal system? What is the role of judges? Um, and as a researcher, as someone who's outside of, of the legal system, and as someone who's also, you know, an aspiring abolitionist, like, to think about, like, how we can adjust, you know, the systems that we have towards a more litigant-centered approach, rather than a system approach, where, like, you're only, you're only create, you know, you're, the courthouse, a lot of times is just meant to, you know, follow the law and, 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 um, and continue that system of the, the legal structure where you're bringing in something like the CRE, something that's really just there for the litigants. Um, that is, you know, in accordance with all the, you know, all the laws and the legal systems and the, and the things that we need, but it shakes that like dynamic of it. And it shakes kind of the identity of the courthouse a bit as well. And that's what is scary, I think, for other, you know, to have other courts trying to bring that in as well. Like that's a, it's going to take time to also be able to have folks be on board with that. Um, but seeing the impact on the litigants and the way that it's allowing them to move a bit more easily through the court and just more safely through the court and more um supported through the court um like that that's also a shift in how you know how the court is kind of functioning um so there's a lot of value to that role that is opening up things a little bit more of like what are we what are we concerned about when it comes to domestic violence and serving folks who are experiencing domestic violence especially um yeah, it just kind of broadens that that network of like, can we expand the role of the court in a way that is a bit more human centered, litigant centered, safety centered, um, rather than punitive and and thinking about like, um, you know, separating families and 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 things like that. Like, are are there ways to be restorative and transformative with within the system? Yeah, I think one of the the other pieces of safety that the CRE allow, is able to bring is that sort of emotional or psychological safety of not having to share your your the trauma of abuse or violence um, or your fears or concerns about the court, um, your desire to see your children, whatever it may be, on the court record. Um, you yes. can share it with this third party it is not on a court record and the CRE then makes from that confidential session makes recommendations to the judge um so it's there's a piece of emotional safety that I think is uh not often considered when we talk about petitioners and respondents having to litigate in court in public whether it's zoom court or in person there's still fear about sharing those personal details. Um, so I think that that piece of safety to me was striking that yeah. um, having a confidential space to share what you need to share, um, but without it being on a court record and to trust this person to relay that to the judge was striking. Yeah. Um, I would love to touch on um, some of uh, the 
feedback from litigants, both petitioners and respondents about their experience in the court and with FCEP um, mm-hmm. and with the CRE, um, if you could kind of share some of some of your experience with that. Yeah. Um, so I was able to interview um, 30 litigants who met with the CRE. Um, so 15 petitioners and 15 respondents. Um, and most, you know, those interviews really were focusing on, you know, their experience with the court, but also um, three months or more later after they've left the court, after they've received their order of protection, how they were experiencing their lives and their parenting plan um, that they had created with the CRE three months prior. Um, and a lot of the petition, a lot of the litigants that we spoke to, um, the majority of them did feel like the parenting plans were um, an important addition to their to their lives, and you know, added to their their sense of safety and their sense of comfort comfort with um, you know being able to navigate their parenting um, and co-parent with with um, the other parent um, of their children. Um, and I think for petitioners specifically, there was a lot of, yeah, and that increased sense of safety, especially after, you know, whatever was happening domestically, um, being able to have a safe relationship with their children on their own, but then also allow for their children to have a separate relationship with the other parent. and like having that parenting plan facilitate that um, was really important for a lot of petitioners. Um, and being able to have that parenting plan both have a structure, but also a flexibility um, for both parents to be able to kind of find ways to co-parent together, find ways to communicate safely around their children, um, and really having that model of what it can look like to have a safe, um, to safely co-parent your child, um, despite what was happening between, between you two. Um, so, and these are particularly for families that, you know, it was safe enough for them to have some kind of visitation. Um, obviously for folks that did not, um, where it was not safe enough to have that visitation, those are separate. Um, even just having, you know, a more limited parenting plan and maybe almost no visitation, you know, that was, that could be safe for that, for those uh, folks. Um, But for people that were able to kind of navigate some level of visitation and access um, and exchange, um, the parenting plans really did um, for a lot of them, help them facilitate that kind of control back into how they were going to parent their children together, um, but separately and safely. Um, so in that way, that was, um, a huge benefit to having those parenting plans for, for parents. Um, I think for respondents, it was a little bit more mixed. Um, but for a lot of them, even if they had whatever time that they did have through the parenting plan, the folks that did have, um, were able to still see their children, um, were really grateful for whatever time that was. Um, allotted to them through the parenting plan to be able to have the one-on-one time with their children, to be able to have 
spend some kind of quality time with them to be able to kind of restore relationships that might, you know, that were kind of shaken or or um, disrupted with with the shifts um, and the court um, experience. Um, so for a lot of respondent fathers, um, there was a gratitude to be being able to have that um, that time with their children. Um, of course, a lot of them did say like, I wish it was more time and I wish I didn't have as many restrictions, but at the end of the day, folks really just wanted to spend time with their kids and would do whatever they needed to, to have that time and safely see their kids. Um, so for, for those parents, it was again, super important to have that parenting plan and for them to have also, you know, again, another structure in place where like legally they were, they were allowed to see their children. Um, and to have that relationship with their kids in a safe way um, outside of whatever was happening again with between the parents. Um, I think something that you and I have talked about quite a bit is kind of the more of the challenges that came up for litigants um, with these parenting plans. Um, oftentimes, you know, for folks that maybe that communication was not as strong between parents or, um, you know, plans were falling through the cracks or they just were not being followed. Um, there was a lot of need to adjust plans, um, make changes to plans. And on one hand, I think there was um, almost autonomy for some folks to be able to change, adjust their plans based on, you know, previous experiences of being able to like safely communicate with the other parent and find ways to, um, you know, agree to see see the children at different times or um, at different frequencies or what what have you um, and allow them to kind of be able to get to a point where they didn't need the court intervention to co-parent together safely. Um, but on the other hand, there were still folks that were, you know, not as sure about how those changes were happening um, or were fearful to make changes to the plan um, and just other kind of challenges that kind of arise from folks not communicating well with each other or using the plan to manipulate um, one another, um, limit access to children, uh, things like that. Um, so, you know, there will always be, be barriers to some extent, but I think just kind of the overall positives that does cut that do did come out of these parenting plans was um, very strong and very beneficial for folks that that it worked well for. Yeah, and, and one thing I found interesting, um, having reviewed and, and sat in on some of those interviews, um, was the way that folks talked about, litigants talked about the court and feelings about the court, both petitioners and respondents, mm -hmm. versus how they felt about sitting with the CRE and their CRE session. And even respondents who felt had a negative experience with the court, felt that the court was prejudiced against them, etc. Even if their parenting plan didn't go the way they had hoped, they were appreciative of actually having being had the having the opportunity to be heard out. Yes. Um, which again, I think speaks to the significance of the CRE role that even <laughs> in a case where one 
party one side is not getting everything that they would desire from a situation they're still speaking positively about having the opportunity to just be listened to um yeah and so I know you mentioned that you're outside the court you Mm -hmm. don't have a legal background you're a researcher um I just would be very curious if you're willing to share what your experience was like accessing the court's in general, prior to um, FCEP, if anything, um, whether the domestic violence court or courts previously? So I had had almost probably no experience with courts prior to this project. And I'm trying to even think personally, I don't sure. think I've had any, thankfully, any experiences that I needed to have with any court system. Um, so so on- on that note, did you have any preconceptions about the legal system or what that process would look like mm-hmm. um, before coming in to, to start FCEP? I think generally I probably had some disdain for the court as one does um, often <laughs> uh, as a researcher. Um, you know, and as a sociologist, you hear, you know, you have a lot of readings that you do around um the injustices that can happen in a courthouse. Um, so I, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of probably not a lot of positive feelings about it. Mm. I had a lot of questions and I was curious about it. Um, but, um, and I, you know, I think at that point I knew how, how difficult it, it is for folks who are not, you know, any folk, any, anyone who's outside of the legal system to be able to access a court or understand the court system. I mean, there's constant, like, even in our, you know, in our media and, st- and stuff like that, like, you know, if you don't know the jargon, if you don't know how the system works, if you don't understand all the nuances of law, if you don't have a law degree, good luck, like, get a lawyer, because you're not gonna, you know, it's gonna be really difficult to be able to, to navigate the court process. Was so, there a learning curve for you? I know now you 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 say litigant, respondent, yeah. petitioner with no with no no issue, but but was there a a learning curve for you when you were starting to work on FCEP? Yes, and I will say those three words are probably the extent really to my uh, legal <laughs> knowledge. Um, you know, outside of this particular court, I still I'm like I don't super know a lot about the court system. Um, in detail um but yeah there was a lot of a learning curve for for understanding this project to be put on this project um i remember when i was you know when my coworker was you know telling me oh you're going to be part of this project there's you know this whole it's all with the gv court and we're going to be you know doing interviews and and whatnot and looking at data and and looking at orders of protection and, and whatnot and i I was like, are you sure I can do this? Like, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> like, she's like, oh, you know, we'll get you on board. Um, and I think even the other person that ended up kind of sharing their own knowledge about the court was limited. And we were all just kind of fumbling to understand mm. how the court process worked. And that was a lot of, I mean, a lot of this project was, and obviously we had a partner at the court that was often giving us that information. Um, but we we always had questions. We always were trying to, clarify okay what is this process how does it work where did litigants litigants fit um what kind of information are they receiving what what do these 
you know, what do the forms look like? So there was a whole uh, orientation and onboarding and I, and of the, you know, the orders of protection petitions, what, what they entail and what every single part of it means. Um, because I still like some of the, the just the way things are phrased, the, the, the different remedies that are offered are not very accessible. Um, and even as someone who, you know, went through school, has a high, like, you know, um, has gone through various levels of education, still not understanding what's going on in this form. You can only imagine what someone, a lay person who has no exposure to this is going to be able, you know, how they're going to be able to fill out the, the petition. So that was always throughout the whole process. We're like, how are people doing this? Because it is not accessible, even at, you know, even when they tried to make it a bit more accessible, it's still burdensome. And they did recently like expand it, expand the petition to be longer, but it has questions on the side to like help folks go through it. But that's still a lot of pages. That's still a lot of words. That's still a lot of jargon um, that, you know, folks who are going, moving through this court are often not not able to you know not fully understanding what they're kind of what they're going through what they're going into with through the court system um and so that's that's what also made those inf informational materials so um important with fcep i mean we didn't know what the impact of those materials were going to be we thought it was like a small thing that was being added but it ended up showing that you know folks that that didn't have legal representation, folks that had those, at least that information, you know, were able to make the requests for child-related remedies a bit more easily um, once FCEP was in place. Um, so that that was helpful to see and like see it in the data because it's showing again that like any ounce of information about the legal system will be helpful <laughs> to move someone through this really difficult and rigid system. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we, something we saw that is you would expect, but we saw it fleshed out in the data is that most, the vast majority of folks are representing themselves are pro yeah. se. And so it speaks to you again, how beneficial the information pamphlets were and how beneficial, I mean, the CRE also served yeah. as a, a source of legal information for clients as far as like not legal information, like legal advice, but uh, information about the court and, the court, <laughs> and yeah. the process um, yep. in a way that uh, especially folks who were unrepresented by an attorney or an advocate, which is the vast majority of petitioners and respondents, yeah. you know, they, they had no access to that information otherwise. And I, I really appreciate your perspective as someone who is highly educated right. at, you know, having difficulty accessing, um, accessing the court in this way. Um, I also so, want to add, yeah. okay. Um, we looked through court hearing transcripts transcripts as well and we saw how kind of judges were interacting with folks and during their court hearings and obviously a lot of them were rushed and there was not a lot of time and you can only say so much as a judge um in terms of you know obviously cannot give legal advice or anything like that but just the 
there is also a level of, and this is not just judges, it's kind of any, anyone involved in the court system, any court personnel really, like, there's often a, like, a veil almost over their eyes of, like, not recognizing that folks do not, this is not common knowledge to know the legal system. You can't expect litigants coming in to know exactly what is going to be going on in the process to of, of talking in front of a judge, how you should approach someone, how you should be, um, what information you should be divulging, what kind of, um, how you should be, like the tone of voice you're using to, to speak to folks. Um, so there's often like almost a, a condescending tone, um, almost arrogant tone that is often put onto litigants you know, for not knowing how to navigate a very specific, a very, um, yeah, just a very specific system that you need multiple years of of learning to understand, and that that empathy is not given to the to the litigants when they're walking through, and they're walking through with, you know, loads of trauma and coming through, you know, fully, um, you know, after coming from a very difficult um, personal experiences that, you know, not, you know, having court personnel that are not really meeting folks where they're at, um, not all the time and not consistently, um, that it makes it very difficult for folks to even come back, like to first of all, come to the court and then let alone come back to the court to get, receive more services or receive modifications to their, to their orders and things like that. So it's it's both a uh, the information that's written like legally on forms and things like that that it's that is difficult that are barriers to for litigants, but also how court personnel are treating folks. Um, and there's often that lack of empathy and there's that lack of um, understanding that folks are going through very traumatic experiences before and as they're entering the courthouse. Um, so I just, yeah, wanted to share that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I appreciate that. And I think that's, um, well, I'll, I'll touch on this with another question in a little bit, but that's something that um, we as, as law students and as attorneys, event future attorneys, like need to keep in mind all the time that what might become second nature to us is, is certainly not second nature to our clients and folks we're interacting with on a daily basis. Um, so as as a researcher, uh, given your experience um, accessing the court and 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 gaining access to the court in this particular way, interviewing judges, interviewing advocates and attorneys, um, do you is there any other area um, that you think that this type of research evaluation and court like court-wide collaboration could look could work well, if any? I think that's that's an interesting question. I think I think it can I think it's a important collaboration to have and the partnership that that we already have with the court. I mean, Curl has had that connection with the court. I mean, since FCP started and beyond before that as well. Um, and there's reasons why we keep you know having new projects, have new partnerships with with the court. Um, is because, but there has to be that investment within the court to to seeing the benefit of having something like research, having something like evaluation to to keep folks accountable. 
Um, and we saw it during this project where, you know, judge, some judges were not on board with the project. They were not on board with the evaluation and, or just didn't have a care for it and had other things on their agenda in terms of what the court should look like um, that differed from kind of the approach that FCEP had on the court. But, you know, when we do have, and we currently do have a, a strong connection with, with judges at the court that are really invested in, in this work um, and invested in the folks who are experiencing domestic violence. The other thing that, that we've noticed is that a lot of, you know, a lot of judges um, get transferred to this court uh, who have no background in domestic violence. And that's, um, it's very hard to, you know, bring those folks on board or even just understanding like how they're navigating the courthouse, how they're interacting with litigants um, without kind of more of a, a structured evaluation of some sort. Um, but, but to have that the folks that are consistently at the court and invested in, um, you know, improving the lives and safety of families and their children, um, you know, there's that, um, the potential and possibility for more engaged um, evaluation and, and, um, and kind of a, yeah, an investment in, in improving the courthouse. Um, and trying to find the ways that, you know, we can maneuver together ways that, um, you know, kind of uh, expand what a court is supposed to look like um, and how it can and show up, how it can show up for folks that are moving through and need, you know, you need that legal, legal support. So last question, um, touching a bit more on on what you were speaking to earlier, uh, what do you wish that lawyers and law students, future lawyers, would know about accessing the courts um, from your experience and from your interviews, um, especially the interviews with litigants? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it, it just comes back to empathy and compassion because the folks who are coming to the court are often at a like last resort to be able to figure out something that's going on in their personal lives often. And to get to a point where you're needing like such a big entity to, to make a decision in your personal lives in the relation very personal relationships that you have with people in your life, especially within a domestic violence court to have someone involved in just making decisions around your child. Um, like that's, a that's, that's a scary thing to, to accept and, and to get to a point where you're, allowing a court system to be that hopefully support for you in that decision-making. So, you know, having to understand that as a basis and then recognizing that they're also hurt. They're also going through trauma. They're also, you know, being traumatized about the courthouse. These things are not, you know, biases are everywhere. Um, uh, being able to understand how those show up in the court system and how that is impacting litigants um, is, is, I mean, it has to be a priority as, um, as an attorney, as an advocate, advocate, someone who's 
meant to walk someone through that court system. Um, so I think, you know, and, and, you know, being able to see people as humans, that's a lot of what we kind of, I mean, that we gained from the CRE and kind of observing her role with litigants and how she, um, works with both petitioners and respondents and trying to also absolve, you know, at least like, um, limit some of the the stereotypes and stigmatizing that happens um to litigants both petitioners and respondents um inherently through the court system you know trying trying to really be at the forefront of you know how are these showing up how am i like engaging in these stigmas and these biases are there ways that i can kind of step back and see the person as a person that is requiring support and service um so, I mean, that is one of the main things that that came through for me through this work um, is being able to kind of separate folks from the hardships and the traumas that they're moving through and recognizing how difficult that just even imagining what that could look like um, and seeing ways that folks can still show up for them um, in a way that's safe, in a way that's honoring all the different folks that are interacting together um and and doing so in a way that you know that the advocates and the attorneys and judges can can equally show up for them without further harming them because that harm is constantly happening through the rigidity rigidity of the court so it just comes back it really just comes back to empathy for me of like finding finding that way to to see folks for for humans first and foremost that's a perfect note to end on. Um, yes, I mean, I so appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Thank you. No, I appreciated talking with you. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station, broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Neka Ugu and Andy Vandenbush. Our senior editors are Casey Callahan and Marcus McNeil. Our associate editors are Johannes Alvarez-Rivero, Karan Kaschel, Maris Medina, and Ben Recht. Special thanks to Associate Director of Student Affairs, Professor Radhika Sutherland, and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate. <laughs>